Brad, I don't know about your neighborhood, uh, but my neighborhood, uh, there's there's a couple of sort of uh, not old wives tales, but sort of shared stories that all the neighbors have about this or that happened in the neighborhood or, you know, this used to this whole neighborhood used to be avocado trees back in the day or yeah. that yeah. you kind of shared stories that all the neighbors know. And one shared story that all the neighbors know is that there's a certain house about two blocks from my house. And the shared story is that I have no idea if it's true, but everyone always says, oh, that's Shaka Khan's house. And I and, oh. and when I first moved in, I was like, A, what a random, wonderful celebrity to have nearby. And B, yeah. how does anyone know? No one's ever seen if it's Shaka Khan. No one ever sees Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan's never out walking her dogs. We have no idea if it's actually Shaka Khan. But I, <laughs> I, I take great delight in this whole shared story of like, oh, yeah, that's Shaka Khan's house. How does anyone yeah. know? Oh, who knows that that's Shaka Khan's house if no one's ever if seen you her? Think, you'd think it would be very easy to tell if you're Shaka Khan's neighbor. The woman has 10 Grammys. How can you, you, she'd never be able to hide all those Grammys. You'd have to see them through one window or another. You'd, there'd be a Grammy <laughs> award somewhere that you'd see. Just, uh, just also just amazing. Although, you know, I guess a certain musicians, they have soundproof rooms. I was going to say you could probably hear music being recorded, but yeah. no, not necessarily if you've got one of those expensive built-in rooms. Uh, but I love, first of all, Shaka Khan, what a great musician. Second of all, what yeah. a weird, like, shared community story that all my neighbors have is like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's Shaka Khan's house. How do you know? Who knows? No one has an origin to that. Who, like, no one ever sees Shaka Khan walking around. We have no idea. But I'm trying I to take, think if we have any, I'm trying to think if we have any uh, celebrities that are living in my neighborhood, and I can't think of, I can't think of anyone that is a, is a local celebrity that I would have known of. Past neighborhoods that I've lived in, the, the local celebrity is like, uh, oh, yeah, that's the guy that set fire to the supermarket that one time. That's the, you know, that's the guy. <laughs> now, those kind of celebrities we got. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to say hello, everybody. Welcome to Comic Lab, the show about not setting fire to a supermarket and making comics. And not setting fire to a supermarket and making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, the author of the Web Comics Handbook and the creator of Evil Inc., and I'm his pal Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's Hour of Comics Advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave! Let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. We have a, a fun show for everybody, especially because we invited our wonderful, wonderful pal in cartooning, Lardis, who's a, one of our favorite cartoonists, uh, just myriads of yeah. skills. Uh, but before we do that, I should mention that this show is going out live to our Patreon pals over at patreon.com slash comic lab at the live gab group. You can watch the live stream every week as we record. And there is a concurrent chat running uh, before, during and after the show where we answer questions for folks and uh, get down to the nitty gritty and the specifics of questions that you might have on the side. So do join us over at patreon.com slash comic lab. Absolutely. So, Dave, you want to take a question from a Patreon backer? I've got one ready to go. Let's do it, my friend. Let's do it. All right. So this one comes in and it says, hey, guys, they say running a creative business like comics is about 50 percent creating, 25 percent administration and 25 percent marketing. But I hate marketing mainly because I just don't get it. I'm not good at it. What are your thoughts on hiring someone to help market your comic online? Someone who knows the ins and outs of social media, someone to make post and make and post reels and TikTok videos. I could focus on making comics while they take care of the marketing. Thanks ahead of time for the solid advice. Dave Kellett, hiring a market manager. 
Ooh, there's a lot of weight behind this question because I, while I do understand the mood of I'm not good at yeah. X and so I want to hire someone to do X, I understand that. I get that. Uh, the main problem that this runs up against really quickly is um, can you build a life in comics? Yes. Can you build a career in comics? Yes. Can you support yourself and, and with the money you make in comics? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Is it hard to do? Yes. Is there mm -hmm. enough money to hire a bunch of other people to do specific tasks for you? Not really, not yeah. usually. Uh, uh, and so this is one of those things that when you are not good at it, frankly, it's the kind of thing where you got to bear down and get better at it because there's not enough money. There's not enough blood to squeeze from that stone in order to pay you and pay them. Uh, yeah. You doing the creative, they doing the marketing. Um, that's my first pass reaction. Brad, what is your first pass reaction to this? Well, to start with, I've never come across a person or an organization that offered to do something like this that I was completely uh, willing to put my trust into, right? There was, I was always a little bit not so sure of the angle. It, it never really seemed to hold up water. Uh, so I've never been able to really trust somebody to do that. A couple of times I've hired like people uh, to do uh, just posting and stuff, but, but at my direction. Like I would right. tell them, here's what I want you to do. And then they would do the thing, but I'm still the one running that gig. Right. 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 Uh, but what you said really holds water in that uh, <laughs> if you're spending, for example, let's say you're spending $200 a month for uh, this person to do marketing for you. If you're doing that, then the amount of value that it brings in has got to be equal or greater than $200. Right. In fact, favorably, it would be a lot more than $200, right? right? So if you're spending $200 and you got one Patreon backer at the $2 level, that's that person's got to be a Patreon backer for several months before you even get that $200 back, right? right. So the, the economics don't add up uh, for that for me. Yeah, and let's remember our basic business model here of what we do and why we do it. We give away our stuff for free because the yeah. barrier to entry is next to zero, right? People can try it out. They can go deep if they want. They can share it with friends if they enjoy it. Uh, and then they can become a percentage of them, a fan. So you, again, this is me grabbing numbers out of a hat. You give it away to 100,000 people so that yep. 10,000 people become fans so that 1,000 yep. people buy your book or shirt or movie or whatever it is you're doing, right? And so that's the business model that we're in. So let's bring in a marketing person into this equation. So you are giving away a comic for free. Your barrier to entry yeah. is nothing. All someone has to do is read it. So, okay, let's say you're saying to someone, yeah, but I can't get people to read it. So I need a marketing person. Okay, well then to Brad's point, I guess what you're saying is to grab terminology from other industries, you're looking for someone to help you with customer acquisition. You're willing yeah. to spend a couple dollars per customer to bring them in so that they spend 15, 20, $30 on your comic. Mm -hmm. So to Brad's point, let's say you bring in a, a marketing person and it's at an incredibly cheap rate that you're not going to find anyway at 200 bucks a month. By the way, it's going to be thousands of bucks a month. But uh, right. if let's say you could bring in a, a college kid fresh out of a marketing degree at yep. 200 bucks a month, right? And they're going to do, mm -hmm. I don't know yet. We'll talk about that in a second. But they magically wave their hands and they bring in customers. Well, what mm -hmm. does that mean? 
Did they just yeah. bring you more people to add to that 100,000 pile? In which case, then it's your job to make 10,000 of them fans, in which case it's your job to make 1,000 of them buy the product. What I'm getting at is here is where does the marketing person fit in that chain of what our business model is? Are they bringing people into the 100,000 uh, group? Are they bringing people into the 10,000 group or into the 1,000 right. group? Right. And so uh, it's a weird form of customer acquisition. And frankly, the low hanging fruit are all in your hands. You're giving away a comic for free. Uh, and if that's not enough enticement, I'm not quite sure what a marketing person can bring to the table. <laughs> well, yeah. And let's let's go one step further. Let's say I gave you a magic wand and I said I could bring you a million people to your website or your social media platform right now. Would you take it? And of course, the answer everybody says is yes. Right. The problem is you've already had a million people, yeah. right? Over the course of a year or several years on different social media platforms, you've accumulated a million people and they've all said no, or they've said not right now. More, yes. more yes. to the point, yeah, they not said right not now. right yeah. now. You're not ready yet, right? Uh, but you've had a million people. Uh, bringing a million people to your website or to your social media platform of choice isn't going to help you until you take care of a much bigger problem. And the bigger problem is right now, you're doing what Dave suggested. You're putting your work out. If you're like most of us, you're putting your work out on a number of different places. You've got it out on uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. You, you might be doing stuff on, on YouTube and TikTok. You might have stuff on uh, the, the different platforms like Webtoons and Tapas. Uh, you might be doing all that stuff. You might have you, you might be you might have a a, a, a sub stack or, or a newsletter. You're doing all of those things and you're not getting traction. And now you've got to ask yourself, why am I not getting traction? Right. Right. And that takes a lot, a lot more closer look at what you're doing at that. What is what are you doing? That's not working. Uh, my opinion. And I've been tracking this stuff for a long time. If you're like 80% of us, you came to comics because you're an artist first and you were drawn to that visual medium and your writing is not hitting the mark. My, my advice to you, improve your writing. And then that marketing that you're already doing and all that stuff that you're doing is marketing, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all of that stuff, uh, Webtoons, Tapas, that marketing will start to take traction once your writing improves, but you've got to improve the writing. If you're, if you're like most of us, you need to adjust your writing. If you're like, an, and by the way, I said 80%. If you're trying to do humor, in my mind, that number raises to 90% because humor is incredibly difficult to write. And chances are your punchlines aren't landing. Right. And then you get a whole nother uh, subset of people that remembered newspaper comics and they're trying to do a long form comic in strip format. Right. They're, they're just giving you a little bite of the, uh, the storyline. They're expecting uh, uh, the readers to memorize that story uh, between updates. Stop and think about who you're publishing for. This person is sitting in front of a conveyor belt that's just whizzing by all day long with content. You're expecting them to remember this one little slice of apple pie that they pulled off maybe a, a year, a, a week or a day ago and remember the storyline points so that when they see it the next time that they can remember that piece of pie. It, it doesn't work like that. If you're doing long form, you've got to really, really uh, consider how you're presenting this to people. 
Those are the changes that you need to make. Then, then once your comic starts to get traction, then we can talk about marketing. But until you fix that, you've got much bigger problems. Yeah. I want to drill down on what Brad said in in terms of uh, you may have already had a million people see your comic, right? Um, And because since Brad and I have started our sort of renewed push over on Reddit, um, one of the things that Reddit on the app does particularly well is it lets you really drill down on who's seeing it, how many people are there right now at that moment looking at that comic, which is sort of fascinating to see, um, and then the overall sum total. And I can say without a shadow of a doubt, because I have the numbers in the back of my head right now, that the last, mm, I don't know, 10 comics that I put up on Reddit that did that got really good traction. This is over the last six months. I yeah. definitely, definitely, definitely got in front of more than a million people. Definitely. I know that mm-hmm. without a fact. Mm-hmm. So ask yourself, why don't I have a million readers? Well, right. in, in some respects, it's the strength of my writing. It didn't click yeah. with people, right? Or to Brad's point, they didn't say no. They said not yet. So my job is to continually put out good work and get it in front of them such yes. that six months from now or, and this is important, six years from now, they go, God, yep. you know, I've really enjoyed this guy. This style is really good. He's really consistent. I'm going to go look around and see if I can find a book for him. Oh, he has a whole bunch of books. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, the reason I say six years is it is not an overnight thing. As Brad always no. says, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so for that reason, any marketing spend that you did or a publicist or a PR person that you've did for a month or two months or three months, it doesn't gain you enough in in as much as consistent quality, ever improving work that goes on for three, four, five, six years. That's how you get a growing audience that then becomes fans that then buys books. It's not necessarily through the administrations of a marketeer. Yeah. And if you spend money on marketing now, if you do that kind of marketing now, you're not only are you wasting money, but you are uh, bringing an entire group of people to a product that isn't ready yet. Right. Right. Here's here's what I would tell you. Once you start to see significant, significant motion in in this sort of thing. Right. Your Patreon is taking off. If you're like the garden variety web cartoonist, you might have single digit uh, Patreon numbers. Right. Just single digit number of people willing to jump on board a Patreon campaign. That's not bad. It just means that you're starting out and you've got you've got your work cut out for you. You got some improving to do. You start seeing that Patreon jump up jump up like to 20 and to 50 and to 100 to 150. And you see that happening uh, rapidly and you see that happening consistently. Now that you see you've got traction, a person like that, now I can see maybe you want to bring somebody in and say, this is what I want to do and and manage it. Uh, But but right now you're not getting traction. And that means that you've got a bigger problem to solve. Yeah. Yeah. And so let me tell you something as one of the things that's helpful to me as a cartoonist is to sometimes learn from and and um, glean information off my wife's career, which is very different. My wife is a TV writer. And when uh, her show in the past has gotten, I don't know, one or two Emmy nominations and Mm -hmm. and hired a publicist as a result. The reason being uh, for her career, she wanted to and it was also timed well for contract renegotiations. She wanted to get on Vogue and Cosmo and and Entertainment Weekly and Time and this and that because it 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 raised the tide of her contractual um, uh, uh, weight. Right. So right. she paid. But first of all, very expensive. 
Second of all, it had a specific and concrete goal, which was different than what you and I have as a concrete goal as cartoonists. So what I did though as a cartoonist was I learned from that and I said, okay, next time I'm nominated for an Eisner, I'm gonna look into hiring a publicist because maybe oh. I could get into publications that I wouldn't normally based on the strength of like, hey, it's also Eisner nominated and here it's up for an Eisner right now. And hey, this Eisner nominated comic is worth checking out. Yeah. So I ran the numbers the last time I got nominated for an Eisner and I was talking to my wife's publicist about maybe hiring one of their junior, junior, junior <laughs> publicists, right? <laughs> at right. like the cheapest rate I could find. And I ran the numbers and I was like, what am I buying here in terms of like, this doesn't gain me anything in what I need to do, which is to get eyeballs to slowly and consistently return to my comics over the course of years. This gives me a little juice into like, maybe I get a tiny one inch by one inch box at the very back of Entertainment Weekly. Okay, right. Who? what, how does that, aside from ego, how does that help my career, right? Precisely. The thing that helps my career is me consistently producing good work, um, posting it on my site and sharing it via, a, you know, sort of a syndication process to Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, all the other places you can imagine, getting it out mm -hmm. as many people as possible, such that, those 100,000 people winnow down to 10,000 fans, winnow down to 1,000 people buying the book. And that takes yeah. years. That's years yeah. of consistent work. Um, and I don't know that any temporary boost from a marketeer or a publicist, I keep calling them marketeers because I kind of like that. Uh, yeah. I don't know that that's, we're not the right industry that that helps, you know? Yeah. And not only that, but what they're going to do is they're going to sell you. And and by the way, this goes, let, 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 let's just take that off the table just for a second and just replace it with like, like, let's say you're going to do, do a DIY thing like Google ads, or, you know, you're going to do that kind of, uh, uh, of a pursuit, right? You're going to end up going on to a situation where you get either baffled by raw numbers or sold on increments. Right. So either they're going to say, look at these large numbers of people that we expose your work to. You wanted eyeballs. We gave you eyeballs. Look at this large number, which, by the way, is meaningless if they're bouncing off your site or bouncing off your social media platform. Right. You can throw which will happen, the by the way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then what happens is and I've, I've consulted with people like this. They say uh, I'm, I'm doing Google ads. And I am putting my stuff out there and look at these large numbers. And I said, okay, fantastic. Let's put it to the test. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, turn the ads off for a month. And we were talking about a website at this point. So we were tracking on a granular level, his website traffic. He says, uh, why do you want me to do that? I said, let's see how many of them you're keeping. It doesn't matter those numbers right. that you're buying right. to get people to come to the site. It matters how many you're keeping. He goes, I've tried, I've, I've, I've had months where I've, I, you know, couldn't afford to do it. Or I, he says, what happens is the number drops down to the level that it was. He goes, I'll lose all those people. I said, you ain't losing all those people. You never had them. Yeah, You're getting yeah. people thrown at your site and you ain't keeping them. And you know it because you don't want to turn these ads off because you know what happens to the level of numbers when it does. So they're either going to sell you on numbers and baffle you with numbers, or they're going to sell you on increments. Take a look. You had a 0.5% increase last month. You had a 25% increase in this specific demographic. Dad, that's great news. Keep on going. They're going to either baffle you with numbers or they're going to sell you on increments. And either way, it means that they've found a sucker and you're going to keep paying for nothing.
Yeah. And like, listen, uh, customer acquisition for a company that sells a widget, let's just call it the super widget, right? And they sell a, yeah. a super widget on the website and they go out to a marketing, to an advertising, to a PR firm, and they say, we need you to move more super widgets. That is yeah. trackable. That's quantifiable. That is that is something that uh, if you spend ten thousand dollars on a month of advertising for, as the super widget company, but you sell forty thousand dollars more super widgets, you can track that. That's quantifiable. Your customer acquisition is is sort of a one to four ratio. There, you know what you're dealing with. Great. Bada bing, bada boom. It's weirder and more nebulous and more squishy is what I'm getting at when you're a cartoonist where your customer acquisition is. All right. You're going to bring more eyeballs to the site. OK, great. The marketer brought more eyeballs to the site. The advertising brought more eyeballs to the site. It's exactly yeah. what Brad was saying. Are they sticking around? That's up to you. That's not a marketer. And so let's go back to that million people that I know that I saw in on Reddit coming across my comics. How many of yeah. those did I acquire as permanent yes. readers? I will tell you because I kind of know it's in the dozens out of a million yeah. eyeballs. I'm not joking. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's in the dozens out of a million eyeballs uh, that saw those 10 comics, right? Mm -hmm. A million, keep in mind, a million people saw it. I gained dozens of permanent right. readers, maybe less, right. by the way, maybe less, mm -hmm. uh, because it's somewhat nebulous. Anyway, um, what I'm getting at is only through the process of repetition and years of continually producing good work, do those dozens become hundreds and those hundreds become thousands and those thousands mm -hmm. become the people that I need to kickstart a book, right? Yeah. And that yeah. is my marketing. I don't need uh, to pay when I can reach a million eyeballs on Instagram, Twitter, in Facebook, uh, Reddit, all this, all the, the, the sites. Um, mm -hmm. That is where they come in handy. They give me the eyeballs for free. Let's all be honest about it. That's where they come in handy. My job right. is to produce good enough work that they come back. And that takes time and consistent good work. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I've been meaning to bring this up with you for a while. Uh, and I want to see if you're the same as me. My thinking on social media has evolved a little bit in the last couple of months, it, it, mainly because of my experience on Reddit. And I wanted to run this past you because it really is, has changed the way I've thought about marketing on social media. Mm -hmm. And it's this, uh, as the more I go, the less I'm really interested in, in uh, engagement, the way we've been taught to be interested in engagement, right? I'm not so much looking for the favorites. I'm not so much looking for the shares. I'm not even so much looking for the comments. At this point, I'm just looking for raw numbers. I'm just looking for the, when I post something when you on Reddit. raw numbers, what does that mean? And, and when it, for example, when you post numbers on, uh, or I'm sorry, when you post comics on Reddit, mm -hmm. you got that little chart symbol at the bottom. You click on that and you see that this comic was viewed by uh, 1,200 people, right, right? Right. Doesn't count the upvotes, doesn't count the downvotes, not, doesn't count the comics. Just this was viewed by 1,200 people. I'm more interested in that anymore than I am at standard engagement. Because I just want to know that this thing is being out there and it's being seen. I'm confident in my work. I'm confident that I'm doing good work in that if, if I'm getting seen by that amount of people that I'm, I'm slowly gaining them over. But I've gotten a lot less interested in favorites and shares and comments. Uh, I, I, I'm much more. And, and for that reason, I'm more and more uh, thrilled with what's going on on Reddit because uh, <laughs> I, 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 the same comic, I can get 
much, much better uh, views on Reddit than on Twitter or any place else. It's it, it eclipses it. And I'm a lot more excited about that than I am because let's face it, we're in late stage social media and the idea of you and me going viral is out the window. We yeah. know that engagement ain't going to do the trick. So I'm focusing on views. You know what, Brad, just for conversation, let's let's change tax just for a second and talk about comic book publishers. OK, or, or maybe more specifically book publishers, because yeah. that's one tangency of com one branch of comics that does pay for marketing and publicists. Right. But yeah. I want to talk about why that is different than what we do. So mm -hmm. let's say Brad signs up with Scholastic or Hachette or Penguin, and he's got a new book coming out, right? By the way, that book retails for 30 bucks. Brad's making a right. dollar a book on average, right? right. So right. Uh, Penguin is taking $29. Well, not really, but Penguin's taking $15 of that $30 price. Um, and then they're keeping 14 and Brad's keeping a dollar. So of that 14, they've got their administrative costs. Right. They've got their in-house, uh, you know, gobbledygook, who cares? But one of those costs is they have an in-house marketing team, maybe if they're still there, an in-house publicist, maybe if it's still there. But what are they trying to do, right? This is where we see cartoonists getting in front of, oh, look at, look at uh, so-and-so's on the New York Times or so-and-so's at the Washington Post or so-and-so yeah. got, got on the Toronto Star, you know, that kind of thing. Every mm -hmm. once in a while we see a cartoonist when their new book is out coming out and they're in a publication and you track it back and you're like, oh, okay, I see the marketing team got them in front of that yeah. uh, editor or that journalist, right? But what are they trying to do? That's a specific example of they're not trying to get an audience. They're not trying to get readers for that cartoonist. They're trying to get buyers for that book. They're trying to get people to right. go buy that super widget. That's a very different mm -hmm. advertising proposition than what we're trying to do again, which is to get 100,000 people to read the comics. So the 10,000 people become fans so that 1,000 people become uh, permanent uh, buyers of our books. Yeah. Um, and so their marketing proposition is they have a window of six months yeah. to get as many people to buy this book in that six months period. Because after that, it goes on the eternal shelves of 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 the of the, the long tail, right? And becomes smaller and smaller sales. Mm -hmm. So they only have six months. So they've got to generate heat and electricity and sparks for that super widget, which is that book in that six month window. It's a different marketing proposition is what I'm saying than what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a hundred. It's, it's apples and oranges. You really, yeah. and, and the other part that always gets under my skin is that they're also expecting that artist to pull their weight in marketing that book. Cause the first thing they're going to ask, oh, yeah, it's not an accident that if you have big social media, yeah, you get the deals. That's now. right. Yeah. That's right. The first thing they're going to ask before they sign you is what's your social media numbers, right? You're not getting paid for that, by the way, you're still taking the same dollar a book that uh, that person was getting back when the marketing team was strong before they laid them all off <laughs> before did. social media happened. You're still getting that same dollar. They're not compensating you for taking on part of the responsibility of the marketing department. You're, you're doing that for free. All right. But you're, you're being expected to do it nonetheless, uh, which is another reason that I always get my backup about that, those kind of deals. Yeah. And remember that advertisers, marketing people, if you look at a lot of traditional print advertising, uh, aside from photographers, who do they call a lot? Cartoonists. Because yeah. it's compartmentalized, it's pithy, yep. it's entertaining, it's visually arresting. So we have the tools in our own toolkit yeah. to make the things that catch people's eye, that slow them down on their scroll and say, what is this thing, yeah. right? And so our job is to continually produce high quality work 
so that over time, a tiny percentage yeah. of those eyeballs come to become our readers. Yeah. So here's, I, I guess here's where it ends up for me. If you see that you're not, if you've been doing this for a few years and you see you're not getting traction, take me up on my, uh, take me up on my advice. I'm telling you, I'm right. Probably nine chances out of 10 on this. Find a way to examine and improve your writing. Please, 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 please. It's not your art. It's not your art. The writing has always been in comics. Uh, the writing's always been more important than the art. All right. And you came to this as an artist, probably. If you're like, again, yeah, like most of us, me included, this is what I had to do before I could turn the comic. I had to look with a really, really cold, critical eye. My writing, take me up on it. See if I'm not right. Improve your writing. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll one two punch with Brad's. So, number one, improve your writing. Number two, as a friend, I'll tell you what you can do. Go through my last 100 tweets or Instagrams or Facebook posts, or even better, yeah. go through Brad's and use the exact language. I don't care. Yes. There, oh yeah, I've just given you a marketing 101. Yeah. Use all of Brad's language for the last month of tweets, but modify yeah. it to fit your comic and then just tweet. That's all you gotta yeah. do. Tweet, Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, all that stuff. That's your marketing, right? Your comic yeah. is doing the heavy lifting and then just use our old tweets, reword them, it's, and they're yours. There you go, my yes, friend, a gift from yes. us. It's not hard to figure out. You say you don't understand marketing. I don't know who you are, but I'll bet you you're, listen, you know how I feel about cartoonists. If you can, if you can do art and if you're, and if you're even trying to get out there and write your, your brain is activating at a very high level. All right. I, you, you know, that's what I think of you. You're not dumb. You're not a dumb person. If you can learn to do comics, you can learn to do marketing. And like Dave said, if you, if it ain't me, if it ain't Dave, find somebody who's doing well on social media and just mimic what they're doing until you get the hang of it yourself. You say you can't do this. I say you're full of shit. You can do this. Absolutely. Boy, do I agree with Brad. And one other thing that I'm going to note before, because boy, we've been talking about this for a while, but one thing I'm going to note that I think also might be happening here is yeah. that... Um, it's not that you don't know marketing. It's not that you can't do marketing to Brad's point. We know you're smart. You're already creating. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think it's that you don't like talking about yourself and you don't yep. like promoting yourself and you don't mm -hmm. enjoy the fact that you have to be the cheerleader and the biggest believer in your art. So first of all, I'll say, I get that. I understand mm -hmm. it's hard, but you have to be the prime mover of your comics. You have to make your own magic. You have to believe in yourself when no one else is around you is believing in your comics. And you just have to get better at talking about yourself and how great your comics are and how it's worthwhile for people to check out those comics. You have to get all of those things and you have to get over it. You have to get over it. You, gotta you get over cannot, it. you cannot sit there and say, I don't like doing this. I, I, I you, you get five minutes of that and then get over it and then get to work. Cause this is how it gets done. All right. You don't get to shrug. You don't get to say, I don't like this. Get over it. Go out there and do it. You, I, I listen, it's uncomfortable for me. Sometimes it's uncomfortable for Dave. Sometimes we all do things that, that maybe we're not so comfortable with, but we say, I don't like talking about myself this much, but I'm going to do it. Get over yourself. Go out there and do it. Doggone it. And honestly, uh, we're saying this with love because yes, we yes. felt this, but I, but I will also tell you that the more you do it, 
it doesn't become as painful as it once was. It gets easier yes. and easier to say, hey, this is a good comic. You should check this out. Hey, I'm yeah. doing a Kickstarter. Hey, I've got a Patreon. Hey, I'm, I'm yeah. doing a talk over here. Hey, I'm down at this convention. It becomes easier to talk about yourself the more you do it. Yeah. Dave, I am, I'm going to tell you, to be honest with you, even though you said that, I'm actually getting a little bit tired of talking about ourselves. You know who I want to talk about? I want to talk about Larda Souza. Oh, I cannot wait for this interview, Brad. Let's fire up the mics and do it. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. Oh, man, Brad, I'm very excited for today's interview because it literally is one of my favorite people and favorite cartoonists in the world. And uh, I, oh boy, I don't even know how many years we go back in terms of, of sharing smiles at San Diego Comic-Con, especially across that aisle. Uh, Brad, <laughs> you go ahead and do the intro because I'm, I'm flummoxed with joy. Flummoxed with joy. <laughs> my friends, we have the great honor to welcome among us the great Lara D'Souza, the uh, illustrator, one half of the creative team that brings us looking for group and least I could do. Lara, welcome to the show. I am so flattered and so honored <laughs> to be here because um, if, if you don't mind my repeating myself, you guys are both inspiring and intimidating listening to, to Comics Lab every week because I, you guys do it all. <laughs> you do the hustle. You do the business. You're so steeped in the 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 comics history the web comics history the culture and i have a somer to do all that <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say brad uh it's it's probably worth for the younger cartoonists or folks that might not be familiar with Lar to explain what that means what the what the setup is for you Lar, and how you work and how you put out such amazing work and what the team is behind you well the the team is ryan somer right I draw. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the deal. He, um, I met him now. Oh my God. Yeah. We're coming up on 21 years. Virtually. Uh, I got an email out of the blue in 2002 from this guy in Montreal who wants to write comics. And he was looking for a caricaturist. Actually, mm. we were, uh, it was originally, uh, the comic we started working together was called In Other News. And it was like an entertainment editorial. Oh, I panel. didn't know this. Wow. But it was it was pre-TMZ. We still had our eyes on maybe not syndication, but magazine publication. Yeah. But okay. there wasn't like a weekly entertainment magazine. There wasn't a TMZ website. There wasn't, an you know, the big entertainment beast online. And uh, we just couldn't, we tried Comic Sherpa for a while. We certainly had our own website, but it never, we did it for about two years. And uh, during that time, he started Least I Could Do on the side. Um, I was still freelancing, was doing a lot of caricature gigs. And uh, then um, 
he asked me to actually no, it was a year 2003 his original artist trevor somebody who was like a college kid at the time said okay that was fun i'm gone yeah um but at the time i couldn't justify doing two web comics in my schedule and i didn't want to give up another news yet so uh i introduced him to chad porter who's a friend of mine in toronto and Chad did it for two years, and I almost immediately regretted passing on it. Oh, yeah. I really, I really love Ryan's writing. Yeah. Um, not that Chad did a poor job, but uh, after a couple of years, Chad was like, I don't, I'm not enjoying this. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm here. I got it. No problem. <laughs> yeah. You got your second chance. And yeah. That seemed to be where things clicked because, you know, Chad had a day job. Uh, it, it took him longer to do the strips. I'm a pretty fast artist. Yeah. I was already in a freelance situation where I'm working from home. This is, I have the time. I'm a little faster. I'm, you know, 10 years older and experienced and everything. And that seemed to be what clicked and least I could do really began to grow. And then after another year, actually it wasn't even a year, we came up with looking for group as sort of another thing to work on. And that was right in that, wow pocket for world of warcraft yeah yeah yeah. and and grabbed hold um and blizzard actually blizzard europe especially was really um supportive they were like retweeting us oh wow really things so yeah we got like suddenly we had this international audience yeah because blizzard europe was set was reposting us everywhere um and it was like i can do two a week Unless, you know, if, if I don't give up, least I could do. Right. Um, and then uh, I, you know, killed myself over that for 17 issues and finally said, I can't keep doing this pace. And we hired <laughs> Ed Rosowski to take over coloring duties. Of course, Brad knows yeah. Ed, who's yep. brilliant. Um, so Ed's been coloring, making my lines look good ever since. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ed's a great guy. Uh, it, it, you mentioned caricaturing and your deep roots in caricaturing. And we just yeah. got the news that Bill Watterson's coming out with a new book uh, teamed oh. with uh, a caricature artist. And I, I was just cash. curious when you found out about that, uh, what was your thoughts as a, as somebody who has, like I said, deep roots in that uh, art form? Uh, my, my first thoughts were uh, where do I pre-order this as yeah. fast as possible? Yeah. yeah. Because John cashed is one of America's great illustrator caricatures mm -hmm. and uh you know with teamed with bill waterson's imagination uh you know we all love waterson's cartoons but you know that's the thing with comics it's a visual medium but we can't neglect the writing right no the no. bones of it you know and uh you know would calvin and hobbs been as good if bill waterson was a crappy writer <laughs> no. no 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 so we're gonna get we're gonna get that you know, the genius of that. Yeah. And, and undoubtedly he's probably, you know, collaborating with the uh, layouts and stuff. Mm -hmm. with John. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's stay on caricature for a minute because I, I will admit, and I think I can speak for Brett on this, that caricature is not our wheelhouse. It's not no. where we excel, mm -hmm. but I, I, I will return the kind compliments you sent our way by saying that you are one of the best caricaturists I've ever met. And I'm sort of curious, um, both, how that world 
um, interacts because I know how web cartoonists meet and greet one another. But mm-hmm. I was curious because Jordan, Danielle Corsetto had mentioned once in passing that she went to a caricaturist yes. convention with yeah. Tom Richmond in, I don't remember what year or where it was, but, um, yeah. and I was curious if you've ever been to that and how you find the caricaturist world. Uh, yeah, actually I go to the same conventions. Um, unfortunately I've missed the last two because of the world. Yeah. Um, but I absolutely adore my character family. And actually, I I met Danielle via webcomics before I found out she was also a caricaturist. Oh, and really? we actually had people oh. in common through caricature uh, and was was uh, quite instrumental in bullying her to start going to the cons. <laughs> and, uh, I think we were supposed to room together at that con and I had to cancel because of family issues. But um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I understand there's sort of, it's sort of like, um, you know, artists all went to the same school and then right. the cartoonists were this club and the landscape people were that club and they have some yeah. vocabulary in common, but not everything. And then among the cartoonists, you might have like the editorial cartoonists and the gag cartoonists and the strip cartoonists, and they all share a little more vocabulary, but not a hundred percent. And then you've got the caricaturists that are a subset of those yeah. in some weird Venn diagram that I'm not even going to attempt Yeah, where you've got, you know, they overlap a bit over here and they overlap a bit over there, but their own particular artistic brain damage of, <laughs> you know, and they've got, they've got their own made up words for things as well. It's sort of niche mm-hmm. upon niche upon niche. Right, yeah. right, right. And uh, I don't know. I was just, I was the kid who always drew my teachers and my friends. Uh, it was always in. <laughs> did you did you ever do one of those jobs, Lar, where like a, a party, a, a graduation, a bar mitzvah, yes. or something, where you're yes. sitting at the at the easel? Okay, so here's yes. here I have to. I, I talked with Tom Richmond about this one time because he, you know, earlier in his career did like theme parks yeah. and stuff, and I am fascinated by this because. I, if I have to, I can turn on my people skills and my charm. You know, I tend to be yeah. kind of introverted, as I'm sure all three of us are, but I can turn it on. Mm-hmm. However, the idea of sitting across from a stranger and then having to turn the easel around and be like, here is my attempt to make fun of your existence, you know, or yeah. or poking, joyfully poking fun at how you look to the world. How does that work? How does one do that? I you just I think there's. um I think I was born lacking the gene to give fucks. <laughs> that would help. Uh, that would over a lot of things. <laughs> and I and I mean I I I appreciate and I accept your compliment for my character skills, but you go to one of those character conventions and gentlemen, you would adore it because it's 200 people from around the world. Yeah. Without the restriction of having to make a sale. Right. Yeah. And yeah. they are cutting loose and they are you know, you get the Tom Richmonds and the Danielles and the Lars, but then you get people like Joe Bloom and Court Jones and Jason Seiler, who are incredible. Uh, you know, Stephen Silver, who is now one of yes. the character designers in animation, you know, did Kim Possible, did Danny Phantom, did whatever. Um, mm. He started in theme park caricature. Yeah. And put together yeah. a, put together, a, you know, somebody saw him one day and said, hey, you got to submit a portfolio to the studio. And he did, and it led to something else. A lot of people 
seem to go through caricature on their journey. Some become tattoo artists, some become yeah. animation directors, some become children's illustrators. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a really joyful professional development kind of thing because people are willing to experiment. Yeah. Well, listen, this is, this brings up another really great point that I wanted to bring out. And that is out of, uh, I follow an awful lot of car, uh, cartoonists, an awful lot of comics illustrators and, uh, out of all of them, you have a very rare ability to work in a vast number of different styles, right? You can, I can, yeah. I always tell people like, sometimes I get a commission that says, I want you to draw something, uh, the way John, you know, something in the style of John yeah. Romita, or I want you to draw something in the Hanna-Barbera style. And I tell them it took me 30 years to learn how to draw like Brad Geiger. You're going to have to settle for that. You, on the other hand, can masterfully do this wide range. Was your roots in caricature part of that? How do, how do you get from A to B? How do you get to be someone that can do that so deftly? I, I don't think the caricaturing in those styles came later. Mm -hmm. I think just as a kid watching Saturday morning television in the 70s and wanting to draw i i have a clear memory of probably being like four years old and being frustrated that i couldn't draw beanie from yeah. cecil and beanie yeah oh yeah but i could see i could close my eyes and i could see beanie clearly yeah and it was like if i could draw with my eyes closed or if i could overlay my imagination mm -hmm. on the paper i could draw him and it wasn't until i don't know what well i kind of know because my wife and I have do fundraising for the Multiple Sclerosis Society of Canada every year. Yes. And this is our 10th year doing it. And we were looking for a way to fundraise. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the typical thing is like, you know, you're going to walk five kilometers or 10 kilometers. And I'm like, my wife was signed up for it. And I'm like, they recommended that she try and raise a hundred bucks. And I'm like, screw that. I have an audience. Uh, yeah. Let's appeal to them. But there's such competition for the dollar. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, even just promising somebody a tax receipt isn't enough. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, what, oh, I remember now. They they came up with a Powerpuff emulator. So to make you look like a Powerpuff girl or boy. Right. And we love the Powerpuff girls in our family. And somebody did it. And I went, this is a travesty. Yeah. This is like, they all kind of, they were okay, but they were all kind of simplistic. And they're like, no, no. And my wife, I think my wife wanted to do it. And I'm like, no, you're not going to do that. I will draw you. And uh, so I drew her and I drew myself and it was really fun. And I said, is this something? Would people donate for a digital caricature in the Powerpuff style? Right. right. And it was a hit. So we did it that year. And so the next year it's like, okay, let's keep doing this. Yeah. Because I am confident and really it's not as hard as you make it out to be oh come on now come on now <laughs> you've got the skills gentlemen yeah oh no, no, no okay yes listen uh, there there is a realm where brad and i can can do mimicry and can and can tackle different styles but um i i really want to lean into this you have a uniquely wonderful ability to say this is my skill set this is my natural wheelhouse of what i draw but I, I'm going to jump into Hanna-Barbera. I'm going to jump into 1950s uh, uh, UPA style. I'm going to jump into The Simpsons. I'm going to jump into this or that. And uh, I think, and I would love for you to talk about this to younger cartoonists, but mimicry, when you do it in cartooning, has a wonderful way of teaching you 
things yeah. and skill sets you can add to your own tool yes. toolbox. Yes. And I see over the years, just as a friend watching you mimic constantly and, and experimenting and, and, but you roll it into your own style over time. And it's been cool to see. That actually, yes, that is like, if you look at my old sketchbooks from high school, it's me drawing the cartoons. It's me drawing Filmation Thundercats. It's me yes. drawing, uh, you know, Hanna-Barbera. It's me drawing, uh, you know, the 1947 whatever showing after four o'clock on Commander Tom. Mm -hmm. um, because they've already solved the problems I'm trying to solve. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, that's really, yeah, you're right. it's just yeah. like, you know, in, in college we learn you copy the masters to learn from them. You don't copy them to make a copy. Right. You copy them to figure out how they think. You don't copy the final line. You copy, you try and emulate the thought process. The technique. How did yeah. they get there? Yeah. Yeah. And I have to emulate that with the tools I have, starting with like simple 3D shapes and sketchy lines and figuring out what the anatomy or the cartoon anatomy would be. Mm -hmm. um, and then realize is, it's sort of like if, you know, if you like the way somebody draws hands, copy their hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and then try and digest them into your own wheel box. Well, you said something really that I'd love to follow up with because it's a great way to summarizing it, which is you said they have already solved a problem that I'm trying yeah. to solve. And I'll be honest, any time that I've ever um, intentionally done mimicry for a project or, or, you know, I just want to see if I could draw in Larson style or Breaded style or Watterson style, uh, I'll do it. And then I'll realize that uh, by as I'm trying to do their line or mimic their line, I realized that they found a more efficient way to do X, Y, Z. And that mm -hmm. for decades, I've been trying to figure out how to do X, Y, Z efficiently. But Larson already figured that out. Watterson already figured that out. Somebody, you know, and so I'm like, ah, I'm rolling that into my style. So you're 100% right that the idea of they have figured out uh, a solution to a problem that we're all facing is super true. That's a that's a really, really good point about cartooning. And I think it's important that you don't, you don't get trapped in the, what brush are you using? What pen are yes. you using? Yeah, yes. Um, Al Hirschfeld, great American caricaturist, one of my artistic heroes. Yes. And I remember seeing, um, there was like a big book of New Yorker cartoons or something in the public library that I used to go over all the time. And it had cartoons. There was another one that had cartoons from all over the world. It had Sompei, it had Searle, it had... And it had Herschel. I love that line. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that thick and thick lyrical line. So I would practice with a brush because I assumed he used a brush. And it was decades later <laughs> that I found out he used a dip pen. Yeah. <laughs> and worked very large. And uses thousands and thousands of tiny lines. I'm like, thank God, because I the only time I used a dip pen was in grade nine nine art. And I realize now the nibs were probably dead. It was well, a horrible yeah. experience. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um I've since become a fan of nibs, but still, if I try and do something like that, I pull out a brush. Yeah. Well, now yeah. here I, I, I see Dave heard one thing. I heard another in that last <laughs> uh, uh, portion. So I'm going to go over here. Uh, I've said before on the show how a large part of my career, if you can call it that, in comics has been powered by spite. Right. You, you, <laughs> you, you told me that I couldn't do it. So I did it. Right. And, and that, that would, from, from the uh, syndicate rejections that I still have in that drawer over there next to my desk to any number of other people who told me, no, I came back with yes. What I heard in your story was you might have had a similar 
uh, uh, engine, but instead of spite, you're using competition. In other words, you heard $100, I can do you know, 200, a thousand, I can, I can do better than a hundred ballot. How much of, of your long career in comics has been motivated by just sheer competition? I'm going to, sh- I'm going to show them that I can, I can do this. I don't think you heard right. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that, 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 according to my wife, that happens an awful lot. I was going to say, <laughs> let's isolate that audio clip just for her. That would yeah. be great. I, I don't think I felt, competition from others uh-huh i felt inspiration from others yeah. i want to learn what they do i want to eat their brain and heart and have their powers yeah um but that's frowned upon by society so i have to <laughs> learn to draw <laughs> instead and the tools i know how to use are brush and ink yeah or at least i think i know how to use so that's what i would use yeah and you know, I I've since become more of a fan of of dip pen because there's no getting away from the joy of tactile work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask a process question actually because um, I, I, and this grows out of mimicry and all the all the benefits it brings us. But for when you when you started in on beginnings, you took a very different artistic path. Um, and, uh, talk about that for a minute about how you made those choices and how, cause I think you landed that, uh, you landed that dive perfectly. Like that was 10 from every judge on the Olympic panel about uh, landing the style for that. So how did you, how did you experiment to, and how did you arrive at what you finally got to with that one? Somewhere had been wanting to do a Sunday comic for a long time. And I had been resisting because Damn it! I was already doing. <laughs> <a> <laughs> I'm week, doing up you know, over six here. Days of comics and LFG. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't want to do a comic. I'm not going to do a seventh least I could do. I'm not doing that. And one day he said, "Just hear me out. What if it's a retro comic of Little Rain?" Uh-huh. And I said, "Damn you!" Because that's a great <laughs> idea. And now <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, it's going there. And a great challenge. And yeah. Like you, I grew up on these things. Yeah. I grew up on peanuts and and um, you know. Some of the old heart, you know, the, the old Harveys. I, I realized as a grown up how much I inhaled those. Um, you know, Little Audrey, Casper, Hot Stuff, Little Lotta, Dot, uh, even I, I don't know if it was Gold Key or Dell. You had Little Lulu, you had, you know, the Nancy, you had all the children in comics kind of thing. Um, and I could, I could just, my brain just started going. Yeah. Um, that's also kind of a character's habit. I'm sure it's a cartoonist habit too, or an artist habit where you, I like to say, I walk through a world of eye candy. When you look at somebody, you kind of go, they'd be fun to draw. Yeah. I have to remember them for later. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or I have to remember that. Like my wife is used to me saying things like, did you see the eyebrows on her? <laughs> 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 um, so that's when I thought, okay, I want to do it and I want to do it different. Yeah. And I wanted to make it look, um, it was still digital, but I wanted it to look tactile and physical and yeah, and, not rougher, but, but with texture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, yeah. You know, I, if I could, I would watercolor each one. Yeah. Um, if, if only because I need the practice, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> but I wanted it to look like it was inked by hand. Like, sorry, I hate doing that because I, you're digital. You are inking by hand. Yeah. But you know, I wanted it to look like traditional pen on paper. I wanted the skips and the sputters and the, the little accidental happy accidents. Yeah. Um, 
And so I worked on, uh, originally I made up a brush that had a little more random fluctuation to it. Mm -hmm. So the line was uneven. Uh, I've since switched to better brushes because people have better things. I even actually, um, I went back to digital in the past year because of family issues with my mother. But uh, I actually spent a couple of years um, printing out the blue lines and inking it by hand. Oh, really? oh wow. With, with pen and ink and then scanning that back in and digital coloring it. And again, like rougher coloring, looser textured brushes to, to get that not watercolor, but just a, a, a rougher sense. So it, it's, it's a callback both, I think, to an older age of comic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, a Harriman line, uh, a rougher color. Um, but as well as evocative of the little boy with the crazy imagination. Yeah. Right. Well, let me, can I actually speaking of process? I, I think I sang your praises about this before on the show, but I have to tell, and, and speaking of camaraderie in, in the community of comics, uh, I have to sing Lars praises because when we were doing stripped and I've told this story before Watterson mailed me the original art, right? And it was uh, gorgeous and, and, yeah. and, but physically very small and we had to make it big. So we, we took it to this really special scanner in LA that could do something like 12,000 DPI so that if we blew it up to whatever we needed it to be, it would be amazing. This is whole special advertising scanner. Anyway, long story short, I needed to clean it up because I wanted it to look like the back cover of, I think it was the days are just packed. One of the Calvin and Hobbes books where it's a pure white, uh, cover with the artwork on the back. So I emailed Watterson and I was like, hey, how did you clean up the artwork so that it looked this way, you know, pointing to the cover? Yeah. Uh, how did you do that? And he emailed back. He's like, I don't know. I sent it to the publisher and they did it, which was not the answer that I expected. <laughs> and so uh, I, I I, actually put the call out in the cartooning community and I was very oblique about it because I hadn't revealed that it was Watterson yet. And I was like, hey, does anybody know how I might mimic this style on the back? And uh, out of all the cartoonists in the world, Laura reached out and, and knew the solution, knew how to do like 20 stages in Photoshop of how yeah. to do it. And I just want to say as a friend, I without any recompense, without any uh, promise of, you know, hey, this is going to happen. You were so kind to to pay your knowledge forward to another cartoonist. And I really, really appreciate that. And I celebrate that for what we all should be doing as cartoonists. It's, yeah. It was a really it was a wonderful kindness that I that I will always be well, thankful to you for. It's it was absolutely my pleasure. I'm I am a firm believer that there are no secrets. You know, the the whole uh apprenticeship grinding up pigments with a secret formula. That day is done. <laughs> There's no secrets. And it's it's all for me, it's a case of of uh high tide raises all boats. Yeah. I have yeah. no secrets. And all I'm going to if I tell you my workflow and it works for you, that's going to enable you to make better art right right facilitate your ease to improve and then that in turn will inspire me because you'll be turning out better stuff and i'll go hot damn that's brilliant yeah yeah and i'll get all energized and so i mean it's like what brush do i use here this is <laughs> yeah. the brush i use you can yeah. get it from this person they're brilliant well, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a big part of why brad and i do this show because it's also we're not we're no longer i'm forgetting the phrase but it's no longer a closed system where for, for you to succeed, I have to fail. Or for Brad right. to succeed, yeah. you and I have to fail. You know, we can all yes. lift those boats up um, because the audience is nigh unlimited in the English-speaking world for, for the comics that we produce. So I'm, I'm with you. I mean, 
I'm happy to admit my envy of like, God damn it. I wish I thought of that first. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or, or, you know, why, why are they getting the accolades? I'm here. I've been doing it. <laughs> but that's also not like, I'll let myself have that little private wine. Yeah. And then put it away and say, hooray, yeah. there's good art being put out in the world. There's yes. great art being put out in the world. Yeah. And yeah. Um, my analogy is always, you, you don't know. You throw the ripples, you throw your stones into the pond and you don't know where those ripples will touch. Yeah. And in fact, sometimes those ripples might not hit their intended target for 80, 100 years after we're gone. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the thing that really took it home to me was uh, a number of years ago. You know, whenever I see an art posting on Twitter, or Facebook, whatever, I just retweet it mm -hmm. just automatically. I'm not looking for a job, but somebody else. Is. Yeah. And I retweeted something about an animation gig. Um, and I think the gig was actually in Toronto. So, you know, near me anyhow. I, and then like a year and a half later, I get an email from a, a young animator in South Africa. And he replied to it. And they hired him to work remotely. And it was ah. for the Clerks animated cartoon. Ooh. So it was quite a feather in his cap yeah. to work with Kevin Smith. Sure. And it was like, I've never been, I'll never be to South Africa. I've never been. I've never met this person, whatever. But because I took that action and let it go, somebody else had a major boost to their young career. Right. Yeah. You don't know. And you don't, you can't expect any kind of gratitude back. You just have to throw out the, the stone let it ripple and be happy that you caused some ripples. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, speaking of your kindness, I know your MS fundraiser goes until May. And right now you're doing custom Lego minifig uh, illustrations, yes. correct? That people can use as avatars. Yes, those are until the end of February. So that one's nearly done. Okay. Uh, March is going to be Schoolhouse Rock. Nice. Nice. Oh, great. Oh, that by seems... the way, you're, you're Abbott Elementary Schoolhouse Rock. Oh, Oh, yeah, that was oh, great. That was great. There's another there's another internet magic story. Yeah. Tell uh, us. I got a call from from the fellow. I mean, LA shows up on my phone. And I'm like, but it wasn't a it wasn't an 866 number. So I thought, let's see. Yeah. Um, so anyways, he got my number from a, a mutual friend who's an internet animator who I met just because we like the same cartoon stuff on on the internet and uh he's an animator and uh long friends with this guy who's a prop master for abbott elementary and abbott the the fellow uh skip was saying i wanted to do a cast caricature as a as a rap party gift and he's like if you need a guy who can draw schoolhouse rock you gotta call lar yeah so he calls me all the way into on canada to say hey can you do this? I'm like, I normally, I, and I was like, normally I would charge you more, but I'm doing it for charity in March. So if you just donate to the charity, yeah, I'll do. And well, the, the end result was gorgeous uh, yeah, for those that have really not seen was. it. I, I'm not actually sure how I would link to someone in, in vocally, but it, if you search for Lar and uh, Abbott elementary and schoolhouse rock, I'm sure yeah. five seconds of Googling, you'll find it. It's an amazing, yeah. amazing piece of work. And if you want more information on Lars' uh, work for charity, it, right now it's your pinned tweet on your Twitter feed. Is that correct? And your Twitter is Lartist, L-A-R-T-I-S-T. So if you go to Twitter and look up Lar uh, as Lartist, uh, you'll see that as the pinned tweet. So Lar, 
Thank you so much for being with us this week. Uh, we really appreciate talking comics with you. We can see your work on uh, Looking for Group and Least I Can Do, which we will link in the show notes. Uh, but until the next time, my friend, thank you so much. This has been a blast. You are welcome. And, and I post lots of random stuff on my socials. So yeah. if those comics don't do it for you. Oh, there's Check always one something. It's, it's one of my favorite oh, yeah. uh, Twitter feeds. There's always something going on. As long as Twitter lasts or whatever rises from the ashes. Yeah. In terms of workaholic, if, if you don't like those two comics, Lar will post 17 <laughs> other comics on his socials that he drew today. So rest assured, you can find it over at Lardist on Twitter and Instagram. I said, I say, it's my work, it's my hobby, and it's my therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you, my friend. All the best for the year ahead. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, uh, Beckett Brett. <laughs> Thank you, Brett. Thank you, Dave, so much. And on that note, you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. A huge shout out and our thanks to Laura for coming on the show. What a delightful talk and a delightful person and a delightful cartoonist. Please go check out his work. And I will remind you that your hosts have been my friend Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc., at evil-comic.com and my close personal friend Dave Kellett, the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com Now, how did I get go from being personal friend to close personal friend? How, when did I get elevated? You know what it was? I, so, the Weird Al Yankovic fan club is close personal friends of Al. And I know this from the 1980s when I, I, I had a friend in high school that was a huge Al fan. Uh, and so for some reason, that phrase, close personal friend, always runs together in my mind. That That's a dang... Of, of all the answers I did not expect, I did not expect Weird Al Yankovic to come in. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, actually, that, actually, that actually warms my heart. I'm very glad I asked. The Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from the very talented Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net, and you should go check out Andy's music. It is fantastic. And this episode was edited by the ever-delightful Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions, and we thank Matt so much. He makes us sound so good from what we start with. We originally <laughs> sound like two trolls in a cave, and Matt makes us sound beautiful. <laughs> Matt's work can be found over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your feature future. <laughs> you may hear your... <laughs> Holy moly! Matt, do you not hear... edit that! You may hear your feature featured. <laughs> you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And by the way, usually we do reviews here. I, I This is from my son, my older son, who's a uh, going to college at Temple University. Listen, he's been they've been keep keeping up on the podcast because they walk into school and because uh, they got done with uh, the Behind the Bastards podcast. and They were looking for something. They uh, came on to Comic Lab. So they've been listening to a lot of Comic Lab. This is a series of text messages I got just last week. Uh, first one. I can always tell who came up with which comic lab topic by what they're talking about. Here's the second one. <laughs> the ones Dave Kellett leads are always, do we deserve love? And the ones that dad leads are, nine reasons why I hate you. 
<laughs> so evidently, according to my son, I'm coming off with a little bit of a hard edge. <laughs> oh, oh, that's amazing. Do we deserve love? And nine reasons why. Nine reasons. Okay, on today's Comic Lab, 14 reasons yeah. why you're a bastard son of a bitch. This is a yeah. topic that Brad brought onto the show. He wanted to introduce it to everyone. Oh. And I've got a list here. Here's number one. Look in the mirror, dummy. Here's number two. Please tell them that delighted me to no end, Brad. That is a uh, dang delight. I will finish uh, this off by saying Comic Lab is made possible by your support over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And I will go ahead and say that twice with a big pitch. If you've been enjoying the show, if you've been getting value out of what we've been trying to share with the world in, in the ways we've been trying to pay forward our mistakes, our lessons, our, our, our hopes for what you can do with your career, do join us over at patreon.com slash comic lab. It means the world. And honestly, the community advice you'll get there is worth the price of admission. It's also kind of cool that she did that Shaka Khan. Uh, she she used her name musically. Yes. Like everybody knows that whole thing where you repeat Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan. That that I could never get away with doing that. I could never stand in a microphone and say Brad Geiger, Brad Geiger, Brad Geiger. Nobody would just sit for that, but she could pull it off. Well, because her name. I mean, think about the the music, the the metronome nature of Shaka Khan. That's so great. Yeah. Versus yeah. Brad Geiger. <laughs> it's out. <laughs> Brad Gagger, Brad Gagger.com. It's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit guttural to be. Yeah, musical. by the way, Dave Kellett's not better than Dave Kellett. I'm actively wetting my pants, Dave Kellett. It's <laughs> better than passively wetting. <laughs> That's me in 30 years. <laughs> passively wetting your pants. <laughs>